When you struggle with your mental health, the journey to feeling better is much shorter when you can speak to someone who really knows your world. The Muslim Youth Helpline was started 20 years ago by three 18-year-olds in a bedroom who really understood that. Welcome everyone to our 32nd in our series of podcasts brought to you by Good Thinking, London's digital mental wellbeing service, which provides round-the-clock mental wellbeing support for those living or working in London. This is Sonia Etetwani at Good Thinking. And in this podcast, our clinical director, Dr. Richard Graham, is in discussion with Maria, director of the Muslim Youth Helpline and Hardil, helpline manager. In this episode, we hear about the ongoing work of the helpline 20 years later and in the time of COVID. We also listen into how the charity provides faith and culturally sensitive support to Muslim youths in the UK. Muslim Youth Helpline offer amazing support without judgment and whilst breaking all the rules. Over to you, Richard, Maria and Hadil. Thank you, Sonia. And thank you, Hadil. And thank you, Maria. We're really grateful for you giving us your time today because you're going to be letting us know about the work that you do at something called Muslim Youth Helpline. I wonder if both of you or either of you could tell us a little bit about the Muslim Youth Helpline and what your roles there are. Sure. Thank you, Richard. The Muslim Youth Helpline uh, was set up in 2001 and it was set up by three 18-year-olds who clearly felt the gap that existed in mental health support services for young Muslims. So they set up this helpline out of one of their bedrooms. It was a very simple counselling model. I think they had one helpline um, and they operated it for a few hours each day. And it was born out of that. This year, we are celebrating our 20 years of operation. And, you know, we are a listening service helpline that provides free and confidential faith and culturally sensitive support services that are targeted at vulnerable young people in the UK. Uh, we have four platforms that people can reach us on, and that's uh, telephone, that's uh, web chat, that's WhatsApp and email. And we have all four because, uh, you know, they grow as the demographic grows and their understanding of, you know, what is comfortable for them to access support services. And, you know, we operate every day from 4pm to 10pm. Uh, we have grown a lot since, you know, the, in the last 20 years. And we continue to see what the Muslim demographic need and what their concerns are. You know, that's ever evolving. And that's how we see the helpline as well, ever evolving. Well, that's, um, that's a wonderful story of, of the 18-year-olds starting all this uh, 20 years ago from a bedroom. It's almost worthy of uh, a film, I suspect, at some point. So uh, perhaps we'll uh, <laughs> later on see you portrayed by somebody very Someone famous. amazing. <laughs> Someone amazing, yeah. Um, and what a fantastic commitment over all those years. But I was also interested that you do provide then, for people who sometimes feel uncomfortable speaking, they can with chat, WhatsApp, and I think email, get in touch in other ways that might be more comfortable for them. Yeah, we see, um, you almost see a pattern with the types of concerns that people are coming to the helpline with and what uh, platform they choose to to use. It's quite interesting. For, for email, we tend to have um, some of our repeat callers kind of drop in every once in a while to give us a life update or the ones that are more comfortable with our service, service and have been using it for quite a while. Recently, we actually introduced WhatsApp and we're starting to see that web chat and WhatsApp also have a very similar relationship to our young people. And then phone calls are very interesting. It's the traditional means, but it still requires a lot of confidence to speak on the phone about something that usually is quite difficult to talk about. Um, so phone calls are for us, although they are the most popular means, it's also the one that's the toughest for most people. So when they are engaging with us, you know, you have a lot of silences. 
lots of breaks and trying to get that confidence and trust to speak to someone on the other end of the line. It often takes a lot of courage, really, and I presume from your side, your admiration for those that find that courage and do start to speak or communicate through text. That's something that I think we all can be very appreciative and admiring of. Given the the different ways people can contact you and and already this sense of of what a trusted lifeline your helpline provides to the Muslim community, I mean, perhaps Adil, could you tell us a little bit about the sort of people who you find do make use of it? I suspect there's not a type, but there's probably different types of people that might be able to make use of the helpline. So although we're called Muslim Youth Helpline, we actually have people as young as 11 and up to 56 years old who access our helpline. Um, So not much in the name, Um, but we're happy, of course, to just serve um, the community as they come to us and as they need help. Last year, we saw a huge growth in the amount of people that came to us, especially with lockdown. We experienced um, more than 300% increase compared to the year before. And we also saw like the types of people were changing as well. Sorry, not the types, maybe the types of inquiries were changing as well. Things were getting a lot more because they're facing difficult things at school. They may be facing difficulties with their families. They may be fighting with their friends. Um, They may be going through something that they're uncomfortable divulging to the people in their life. So it's it's quite a wide range. It's quite hard to categorize them, to be honest. Well, in that sense, it sounds like you don't specify, you know, what sort of reasons you have to, to call the helpline or to make use of the, the other channels, that you're just there to listen. I think, Maria, you were saying earlier that that is your role, really. And, and, and I guess there is no judgment, really, when somebody calls. You're there to listen and understand and support them. Yeah, we, we, we are that safe space. And, you know, there are so many um, mainstream support services and mental health services that cater to, to young people, but also to young Muslims. But for us, we are one of a kind. We are that helpline, that initial support that someone might tap into even before they realise that they might have a particular concern or a particular yeah. safeguarding issue or a particular mental health concern that they want to talk to. You know, we don't specify who we are open to. Sometimes you just want to, to vent or sometimes, you know, you just want to articulate what you probably think is a concern um, and then we're there to support you in that in that non-judgmental, non-directional and empowering way. And what that really means is that, you know, you can come to us with any subject without the fear of being judged. And we really are there just to listen, to, to empathise and, and provide that emotional support and, and support you in, in your resilience. And then that non-directional is really, uh, you know, we don't preach, we don't impose any any particular moral belief on you. But what we want to do is probe you but also support you so that you're leading that conversation and that conversation is your is your is still your story you know you're taking control as much as possible because sometimes when you're coming to us you have gone through possibly a very dark period and, and that agency sometimes is taken away from you we want to make sure that it's gone back to you and you you know you have options and we're there to go through those options with you at a pace that suits you and then that empowering moment, you know, when, you know, the hope is that at the end of it, we have given that individual some options. That individual has come up with some options for themselves. And that individual feels a lot better than, than they initially felt when they when they started that conversation. I mean, that is the real aim. Um, sometimes it doesn't always go like that. Sometimes we do have some very concerning calls where you know, the calls just dropped and, and, and that's it. We, we never know what's happened to that young person. But those are three core values that run our helpline. And it strikes me that after 20 years, I presume there's very little that people could call about that would shock you. So you're going to have 
an understanding that that person is not alone with whatever their issues are, mm. and then create that thinking space with them to work through and empower them, as you say, uh, in finding their own way forward. This is this is very interesting. I mean, neither of us work on the helpline, but we know exactly what happens on the helpline. We read the transcripts every day, and we make sure that you know everything's going smoothly. Um, but it's interesting you say about the shock facts, and I was thinking about this recently. It doesn't, the, the the topics that come up don't shock me, but what, I wouldn't say break my heart, but really just cause me so much, so much concern is that, that young people are going through a lot and that and there, there are so many troubling things uh, that are happening and that still shocks me. Maybe not the actual concerns, but the level of concern for such a young person, that still takes my breath away sometimes. Well, I think it wouldn't be much of a helpline if you didn't have that level of compassion when it came to the issues young people are, or as Hidil said, 56-year-olds perhaps are bringing to you. But yes, that sort of balance between having that profound and deep sympathy for whatever they're struggling with, and yet at the same time, just accompanying them in that process of finding some sort of way forward, whatever that is. And perhaps for some people, that's when they they do drop off the call too, because they've had enough for now and uh, are going to go and think about that discussion. So not being shocked in a sort of understanding way is one thing, but actually to lose compassion, that really would be a a very sad day. So yes, I'm I'm afraid a degree of distress for you both makes your service a good one. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> Positive way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. It's part and parcel of the job, so get on with it. <laughs> well, a tough bit of tough love is always always <laughs> necessary. Um, I do like, I wonder if I could go back to you, David. You started to, to outline some of the issues that the young people will call about. You mentioned mental health and, and some other areas uh, of their lives. I wonder whether you could say a little bit more, or, or perhaps both of you perhaps start to outline some of the things, particularly over the past year where COVID has, has kind of changed everything, that again might make some who are listening to this podcast realise that they are absolutely not alone with those thoughts and feelings. Um, so one of our top issues, and this was kind of across the board, was family issues. So of course, people living in close proximity with their family, stuck at home all the time. A lot of people felt really, I guess, stuck of course also mentally they were worried about their families with the health issues going on also they noticed that they were fighting a lot more getting into petty arguments and stuff like that a lot of people just wanted a way out and of course we were all at home um, and they couldn't find that way out so they'd call us to try to get some of that pent-up anger um, and some of those issues out And another one, a lot of young people especially called in for religious advice and like faith issues. And of course, we don't give religious advice on the helpline. But what we noticed tended to come up a lot was young people facing a lot of issues. And it was disguising a lot as religious guilt that was um, appearing on the helpline instead. So they may be facing some sort of addiction, whether that was behavioral or substance addiction, or they may be undergoing something that clearly has a, a larger component in it like um, some sort of mental health concerns, but it disguised itself really well as religious guilt. So we, we would try to get to that underlying issue a lot on the helpline as well. And of course, if they really did need that religious advice, we would signpost along to an imam who could help them with that. And like I said earlier, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, those were all on the increase this year as well. 
Well, for young people, also the sense of a loss of routine, the unknown. I mean, this came in ebbs and flows, but especially during the last year, during the exam season, but then also during results day. You know, we had lots of concerned young people coming into the helpline, not having a sense of direction. Um, and that routine really disrupted them, not knowing whether exams were going to be taken or not. Also, the unfairness of how it was decided, you know, that really threw a lot of people off. So we, we saw that in the helpline a lot. Within our communities as well, you know, having being a community that was impacted gravely by COVID fatalities, that had a huge impact on young people. Bereavement and the, the loss of the support system, but also loss of family members and loved ones. Uh, young people taking on different roles within the household because of that. Um, a lot of young people coming in to the helpline uh, because, you know, they've now taken on a carer responsibility, but also um, supporting their younger siblings with homeschooling and things like that. You know, a lot of changes happening uh, for young people at the same time juggling their own concerns as well, but having to put that to a side just because for the greater good of just making sure the family unit is, is, is functioning. And there's a lot for young people. And it's interesting that within our helpline, that that link between that huge impact that COVID did have on our community and the response that young people, that young Muslims had to it was very, it was very sad to see. But also the fact that they are tapping into helplines was quite refreshing, you know, that this person does know that they need support and they are using support services, which is always, always a good sign. Well, I think you've both at times used the important word space in terms of how what you offer gives a bit of space away from all those different terrible anxieties and frustrations and restrictions and, and that sounds like such a valuable support at this time but it strikes me and, and not for the first time I, I'm sorry to say now that a lot of young people have just been extraordinary through COVID coping with all that uncertainty all the loss all the impact on their communities on their families and how sad it is that in mental health when we're under stress we often turn on ourselves and we kind of lose compassion for ourselves or even kindness and I, I guess Hadil that's where that religious shame comes in really where it's extraordinary that people who are being heroes in their own homes actually criticize themselves and undermine themselves with doubts and terrible fears it must be quite hard to hear that one of the things that I think we really need for positive mental health is positive self-thinking. Um, and then when people are so um, disrupted with these religious, these guilty thoughts, it really interrupts that. And then it just turns into a spiral of just somebody thinking badly about themselves, their mental health getting worse, etc. But like you said, they they were incredibly resilient in other ways this year. Like Maria said, um, taking on care roles, taking care of their families, their younger siblings, they've, they've been incredible. Um, so to see them fall into this because of what they may be thinking is a sin or um, something that they feel guilty about, it was really sad to see. But we did try to help them by digging at that underlying issue, of course, and figuring out why are you feeling this way and getting them out of that spiral of thinking badly about themselves and the, and the, and the guilt that would play into that as well. Sounds hugely helpful at this time, especially, as you say, when so many were doing so much good. I presume at times, and you've described, sometimes you'll be talking to someone who is in the worst possible place in terms of how they're feeling, suicidal thoughts or perhaps other things going on around them. And I guess... Presumably in part of your support for them, sometimes that does include trying to help them get to mental health services or, or something similar, perhaps. It doesn't have to be mental health. And I, I wonder for young Muslim people, 
what sort of challenges or obstacles there might be. You know, we know there's lots of stigma for many communities in terms of accessing services, but are there particular barriers, would you say, that would affect young Muslim people? Definitely the, the stigma around, and I think this isn't just a concern for the Muslim community, but as a society as a whole, you know, we've been very slow to respond to mental health and actually make it a topic of discussion. Only recently, you know, we, we've started to have that space and acknowledge it as an important discussion. Um, but that, that stigma around mental health still exists, but also that fear of not being taken seriously when you do open up. Mental health isn't being discussed as much, so the barrier is actually not knowing what to do or how to comprehend how you're feeling. That's a huge barrier. You know, I'm feeling like this, but what does it actually mean? Um, because there aren't enough conversations being had about it. So actually, you know, is this something that I'm just making up or is it something I should be taking seriously? And if I am taking seriously, where do I go? What are the platforms or the resources out there that I can tap into? And the other barrier, I would say, is the, the limited number of like mainstream support services that actually understand uh, the unique needs and experiences of young Muslims. And, and that's where uh, spaces like the Muslim Youth Helpline exist, because we offer that familiarity for them. Um, we're, we're challenging that, that barrier one step at a time, but that, you know, that barrier of not finding a support system that provides that holistic approach or, or that cr- cultural framework, you know, that uh, really sits well with you um, and, and wants to understand you and all those levels of your identity. Because everyone has many levels of uh, to their identity. Um, and if you're only approaching it in a, in a one-dimensional way, that individual almost already feels patronised uh, because they're having to explain their background or they're having to already feel quite defensive about where they're coming from you know I have to then explain to you I live in a multi-generational household you know and it's not quite easy for me to have my own room where I can go and keep away and um, if I'm feeling quite low to go and have that you know my time my 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 space the the difference between coming from a very individualized community to you know not (laughs) yeah there there are so many different elements to someone's identity and and they make up um, their story so it's so important that that person on the other end of the line is willing to completely understand all those shades of their personality and identity and then come up with, I wouldn't say a solution, but for them a plan to get that support and whatever that looks like for that individual. And that's why it's so important. So in terms of barriers, there are many barriers, you know, there are also barriers at the healthcare level in terms of getting support for all young people, not just um, young Muslims, but after a particular age, are you still an adult or do you go to young people's mental health support services? Where do you fit in? It's so interesting with with, with Muslims. Um, like Hadil said, you know, that age of like 56-year-olds tapping into our helpline services. A young person or a person that's still living at home that doesn't really have an age limit. And so, you know, even the demographic and how we kind of are as a community is very different to how maybe mainstream support services would acknowledge us or the kind of brackets that they put us under. So there are so many differences um, depending on your your community and your, your background. I think the point you make, which is a very powerful one, that if you could have that conversation with someone who really gets it, really understands you, your situation, that's a fantastic start to a journey that might lead you to all sorts of different next steps. But that understanding and that sense of not being on your own with it anymore is something that can break down some of those complex, as you say, extraordinarily varied barriers to to getting support. But having that understanding really is a good start. It's so important. I mean, that individual is already probably thinking that they are very alone with what they're thinking or what they're going through. And to then put them in an environment where they actually do feel alone because they actually feel like what they're going 
sort of doesn't resonate with the other with the person on the other end of the line is only going to exacerbate that feeling of loneliness and isolation and they need to know that whatever they're saying um, that individual understands they don't have to stop kind of give a background to what that term may mean or what that family setup may mean to them you know it's already a given that that individual understands it and they get it that's half of the issue right that's the that halfway there with, with with helping them and supporting them and it also reminds me how at Good Thinking we're recognising over this period that so much advice in the mental health space is almost alarmingly generic, as you say, when you're living in a multi-generational household or with all sorts of other issues that are very relevant to your life. Some advice is just bordering on absurd, I guess. So I guess you presumably can take some of the uh, roots of that advice and, and actually make them a bit more relevant and relatable to the person you're talking to. Yeah, and just being sensitive to everyone's setup or everyone's identity, having that faith and culturally sensitive support yeah. is very important. You may not necessarily actually um, know what that person's going through or the terms that they're using, but coming across as a as quite sensitive and having that cultural framework can make all the difference and we're not saying we're going to be experts in everything um, but it's that approach that you take is very important. I'd just like to go back Hadil to something you were talking about in terms of how at times when we're under stress and, and perhaps struggling that our attitude towards ourselves is, is critical and unhelpful I just wonder whether in part of the work of the helpline, presumably you're also helping people have a more forgiving and tolerant attitude to themselves and what they've been doing. I, I think, Maria, you mentioned issues that might be related to addiction, maybe behavioural substances. There's lots of things that we, we can find ourselves doing when under pressure. But it did sound like one of the things that could be really therapeutic to someone when they call is developing a greater capacity for forgiveness towards themselves. I think when people tell us that, it's a huge weight off of their shoulders because we might be the first people that they're confiding in. Um, they don't want to tell their family and their friends and feel guilty or worry about being judged. So by us coming with a non-judgmental attitude and not acting shocked in the way that they might expect that somebody would feel um, once they divulge that information with us, I think that definitely not normalizes the behavior necessarily, but allows them to talk about it freely without feeling so guilty and so bad about themselves, which is a huge first step um, and that, that we're happy to tackle on the helpline. Um, and I think also the more we talk about it, the more natural it feels for them to tell us more and for us to really get to the root of the problem. But I think definitely as long as we're not being judgmental and we're helping them get to a place where they're not thinking so negatively of themselves and they're separating who they are from the action that they may be partaking in, then that can allow them to really get the help that they need. Again, the, the sort of process of finding that courage to reach out to you is such an important first step. And I guess for anyone listening, if they are worried about anything, that they've been feeling or doing particularly over covid where the stress has been at times unbearable they should be reaching out to you and just starting that conversation yeah and, and like you mentioned with forgiveness that's a huge concept in islam um we believe god is all forgiving um and so and we also believe in not necessarily thinking back to your sins and then feeling so negatively about yourself as well um, so I think even if they were to go on to seek religious um, advice afterwards and stuff like that, there's always a sense of forgiving yourself and moving on from whatever issue you're dealing with rather than just being stuck in the past. Because, of course, that can easily get you into that cycle again of just um, bad thoughts and then deteriorating mental health. It's interesting how forgiveness is actually um, you know, an important 
tool to amend a lot of wounds in, in, in all faiths, really. In, in Islam, like, um, forgiveness is a huge component. We refer to it as istighfar, you know, the forgiveness of yourself. And I was reading recently how important it is in many faiths, but also, you know, how it comes in Islam, how it comes in three parts. And that's, you know, the forgiveness of the, of the individual to themselves, the individual to others, but also then God to that individual. And it helps you to kind of bring about hopefulness. And that's very, very important. You know, it overlooks your own, you know, if you, the forgiveness of yourself, you know, that overlooks your own faults and um, your issues and, and it decreases your stress and your anger. But the, also the um, the forgiveness of others as well supports you and, and your well-being. And then that thought that the, the higher power, you know, that God is all forgiving as well. It does have a huge impact on your well-being. And again, it almost takes a, a degree of courage to let go of that harshness towards yourself and to allow the kindness of others, that forgiveness of others and towards yourself yourself again it's it's a moment of courage really isn't it to forgive yourself it sounds odd because uh, i'm sure the daily mail or equivalent would make it sound very indulgent but actually <laughs> it does take uh guts doesn't it to start that journey we always need a bit of a daily mail twist <laughs> to it but yeah you're right you know it's it definitely it's, it's it's a huge step and and a step that we should celebrate because that individual it takes them a lot to identify that they are stopping their themselves from you know moving on they need to forgive themselves they need to understand that what they've gone through is a lot and and then people come to our helpline and then from there may go on to other support services you know the next step in their mental health journey whatever that may look like but we just hope and pray that you know initially they they are tapping into our helpline that we are able to get them started on that journey you know give them a bit of a boost so that they can then start identifying what support they need next that's a really interesting point that actually to allow yourself that support from a service with all the difficulties that that involves might start with that act of not judging yourself any further allowing others to sort of support you and and bringing in that forgiveness towards yourself or whatever it is might then allow you to to accept the support that comes from other places so yeah really profound i think some people think we've gone a bit deep there but um (laughs) i think (laughs) nonetheless um he says having raised the the specter of the daily mail and somehow dismissed mental health advice all in the same conversation (laughs) um I I forgive myself for that. And uh, (laughs) what comes across, though, is is the, and I guess this goes back to those teenagers, those 18-year-olds 20 years ago wanting to do something, the warmth and compassion that you both express towards um, young Muslim people with all the specifics of their lives and and the religion and families and communities and so on, it it must just mean that whoever is reaching out to you, they know they're going to get a warm and uh, empathetic response that really connects with them. Yes, that is the safe space that, you know, we want to create for young people is to come to us and, and, and offload and unburden as much as you can. And you're not alone in this. You know, I think every uh, mental health support service, you know, that is one key thing that they want to um, say is um, talk you're not alone whatever you're going through there is a way out and there are support services there to help you and that is such an important key takeaway uh, because you do feel alone you do feel quite burdened with whatever you're going through um, and it sometimes does feel like there isn't a way out but there is and there are so many options available for whatever you're going through at some point we've done the work that we can do and then 
it's not within our remit to continue. You know, we will then support you to get the additional support that you need. Uh, so it's never a, hey, sorry, can no longer help you now. You know, there is always another element to it or another next step for you to engage yeah. in. So you can really be there to accompany someone on that journey. It isn't just a sort of not for us, please go here or there. You're going to stick with them until they, they've taken those steps. Well, given the extraordinary hard work that you're both engaged with in supporting young Muslim people, I think it's only right at this point that we try to give something back to you. So we're going to give you an opportunity to escape for a moment to a different sort of space. Paradoxically, it is still lockdown. What we've tended to do is to ask the people we've been talking with to think about who they would have taken into lockdown with them. I don't know, perhaps, Hadil, I'll ask you first. So if you could take <laughs> three famous or prominent people into lockdown, let's say lockdown three, which three famous or prominent people would you have taken into lockdown if you could have? Okay, I've given a lot of thought. <laughs> first person, unfair, <laughs> first person I would bring, and this might sound this might sound quite cliche, but it would be Oprah. And the reason I would take Oprah is because I feel she knows a lot of secrets. Yeah. I would love to know those secrets. My second person would be Gordon Ramsay, so he could cook me delicious food. Gosh. And my third person would be all of One Direction, because I've heard somebody took all of Destiny's child. Oh, no. <laughs> I'd love to cook all I think of she's one. broken some rules there. <laughs> I, I, well, I... I, I you do remember that you're in the same space for lockdown, which may be months, with all of those people. And, that, and I would be delighted. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm thinking more about how they're going to get on. I mean, Gordon Ramsay in One Direction? He would be confined to the kitchen, Richard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he would simply be cooking us delicious food. Ah, this is a managed lockdown, I can tell now. Yes. And presumably no swearing if it's Gordon Ramsay. But also, it's his own food. He can't get upset. Yeah, yeah. So, Richard, you, you could have taken us to a remote island somewhere. We, could the scenario have been a bit nicer? I, I think someone might have thought of that one already. <laughs> <laughs> think about how you'd, you'd get through lockdown. But with Oprah and Gordon Ramsay and One Direction, and that's a whole of yeah. One Direction. To... Before Zayn left as well. Zayn would have to be. So a bit of entertainment, some wonderful food, and some extraordinary secrets, and perhaps even more profoundly, what does Oprah think Okay, that's going to keep you going for quite a few months, I think. Um, <laughs> Maria, it's your chance. Three famous, prominent people into lockdown with you, possibly on a desert island, but I can't possibly support that, given that you wouldn't be able to travel across borders. I was just going to say that Hadil's um, lockdown house would make a really good reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anyone would watch it. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> Um, but for, for my three people, number one would be Hassan Minaj, who is a comedian, but also um, a wonderful person. <laughs> and I think I'd get a lot of great stories out of him. The second person, it may not be famous to, to you, but famous in my in my heart and my, my life, would be my grandma. I think she'd be a wonderful source of inspiration, but also spiritually she would uh, keep me in check and she's just a wonderful human being <laughs> and she would cook me some amazing food so that's great and then finally it would have to be a duo I watch <laughs> <laughs> <We're all laughs> <Sorry. sorry. laughs> 
I uh, I listened to a podcast on a Tuesday called Crime Junkies, and it's these uh-huh. two American ladies, and, and they take a true crime. It can be in a, a murder or a mystery or um, an unsolved a cold case, whatever it may be, and they research it. And on a Tuesday, they retell that story. And I would definitely have them too, because they are great narrators and we would always have something to talk about. <laughs> well, that's, that's an interesting conversation. I mean, despite the fact that you've taken multiple figures for one place, is your grandmother famous? I thought the one thing you wouldn't make fun of is the grandmother. <laughs> I, 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 I know. I was like, that's an easy one. No one's going to attack the grandmother. <laughs> well, you may be thinking so, but I'm afraid, given that you've both broken every rule pretty much, I've got to start somewhere. <laughs> and uh... So my grandmother has actually made, so she's famous in our community, but also <laughs> she's, she's actually made a TikTok. She's, she's, oh, wow. she's, she's, she's actually been in one of my cousin's TikToks. So um, I guess that she's TikTok famous. She's a TikToker. Okay. Now that, that does count now. So I had not expected that. <laughs> um, uh, there was a twist in the story. <laughs> yeah. God, you were feeding me a line and I fell for it. So, okay. Well, um, I, I don't really know whether I should allow you anything more, you two, given these. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess people know if they call the helpline, they're going to get a lively response now. Anyway, I, you are allowed to take um, some media in with you, uh, something that could be on your phone or a tablet or a laptop. So it could even be a book, music, recording of, of an event, like a sporting event or theatrical uh, production, a film. Hadiel. Yes. Uh, don't let me down. What are you going <laughs> to take in with you? Okay, this this response is a lot better. I think I'll take a podcast. Um, it's called The uh-huh. Infinite Monkey Cage. It's on BBC. Uh-huh. Something. I really like that one. Um, it features a physicist and a comedian and some guest panelists on every episode. They talk about different things in science. It's really intellectual and funny. That sounds very good. A podcast, some earphones, and you won't hear Gordon in the kitchen. So that sounds <laughs> very smart. Maria, what have you set me up for this time? What are you going to be taking with you? No, it's quite um, conservative. So I would be taking a TV series with many, many seasons. I was torn between um, The Wire, which I absolutely love, or The Office US something short and it will just I can rewatch it and it'll just make me happy. Right. So very smart choices there, both of you sort of giving food for the mind as well as entertainment during lockdown. Um, we have many layers to us, Richard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I did already use the word deep earlier in the podcast. So <laughs> I, I think the audience now knows what, what we have with us. Um finally here we go again. A luxury. You can take a luxury with you into lockdown. Adieu. So do we already have like our phones and computers and stuff? Or is that a luxury? Yeah, you're you're allowed that because back in the early stages of COVID, it was one of the one things that wouldn't go into an incinerator <laughs> in a hospital because you could wipe clean a phone. So whether you've got connection is another interesting point. Well, if I don't have Wi-Fi, I would take Wi-Fi. But if I did have Wi-Fi, I would take caviar, because that sounds very luxurious, and I've never tried it before. Okay, well, that might complement something Gordon's Gordon wrestling will up. Gordon whip something so, up, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. That does sound like a genuine luxury, despite your attempt to smuggle technology into <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> Maria, what would be your luxury? 
Oh, I was going to go with something quite boring and say my Kindle, <laughs> which I take everywhere with me. That is boring. So my Kindle, but then it'll have so many books on it, you know, that one device. Yeah, and depending on my mood and the seasons, because, you know, lockdown is, at the moment, it's been going on forever. So, you know, the different periods of my life, I would have that Kindle to the rescue. I did ask my family this, and someone said a hot tub. Oh, okay. that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, there you go. <laughs> answer my question differently now. Like a lot. <laughs> no, I'm I'm afraid these are fixed contractually, and should this ever happen in real life, uh, Mario gets a Kindle and you caviar at this yeah, point. What I if think, caviar tastes really bad? Well, I think regret is a feeling we all have to learn to accept. And forgiveness. Richard, did you just say, should we ever go into a lockdown? <laughs> I, I, well, no, it, it was more, should I ever be able to grant you the possibility of taking such figures oh, as One right. Direction, Gordon Ramsay, Oprah, or a grandmother from TikTok? <laughs> that that was the, the idea, really. But I think, actually, in the end, there's some the nice choices. And I, I think a Kindle... It's quite a nice one that you first mentioned because it is different from a phone or a, or a tablet, isn't it? And would actually make reading that little bit more pleasant, I think, when the comedy and other things might be wearing a bit thin. So I think that's a good choice. Right. Well, that has been an, an extraordinary podcast in all sorts of ways, but even more so that you've been able to bring to life the fantastic work of the Muslim Youth Helpline that is doing so much for your community and is there for any anyone to reach out to in all the different ways they can and we'll make sure we accompany the podcast with information of how people can reach out but i'd really like to thank you both not just for your time today but for the amazing work you're doing and please continue to do that thank you thank Thank you you so so much much, richard Richard. thank you for giving us this platform as well to talk about it Mm -hmm.